Welcome to the American Institute of Stress's official podcast, Finding Contentment. The goal of this podcast is to highlight new information about stress and stress management techniques. While we understand that stress is a very personalized issue and different for everyone, we hope to help you find your own way to contentment. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Finding Contentment, the official podcast of the American Institute of Stress. This is Will Heckman, your host and executive director for the American Institute of Stress. Thanks again for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us, you should know that this podcast focuses on stress and stress-related issues. So I want you all to remember to please subscribe to whatever podcast entity that you listen to us on. And also, send in those reviews, send in those comments. I love hearing from you guys. By the way, the American Institute of Stress, AIS, has some exciting news. In its continued effort to help people transform stress through awareness, education, and collaboration, we're happy to announce our educational partnership with the American University of Integrative Health. We're now offering four MUIH professional and continuing education courses that are certified by the American Institute of Stress. As well, you get free access to the MUIH Integrative Health Scholar Library. To find out more about these courses, of course, and all the others offered by AIS, by the way, including you get a free membership in some of those courses. So make sure you go to stress.org and just click on the course tab to learn more. You know, as business and other organizations like schools resume operations in the wake of the COVID-19, they're welcoming back and reintegrating their workforces. Careful thought has to be given to schedules, seating configurations, visitor policies, elevator usage, food delivery, and much more. I don't even know what we don't know. Some employees are re-entering the workplace after working at home. Some are returning after being furloughed, and I'm sure they're happy. And others in roles deemed essential, that, well, they never left. These experiences happening as the pandemic continues have the potential for stirring up a lot of stress, anxiety, and a lot of tension. You know, why workforces re-enter certainly includes logistical and operational planning, it is not just the physical well-being that employers must consider. Equally important is how organizations will respond to employees' emotional and psychological health, a topic that regrettably is discussed less, far less frequently, well, except on this show. So today we're going to be talking about how to help make the return to work less stressful. You know, some people who are more introverted have been okay with the COVID lockdown impact. They, they'd like to stay at home and just sailed right through this, no problem. But then contrast that with the people who are more social and really felt that change. They can't go to friends and family. They can't celebrate their lives like birthdays and anniversaries. We've missed both of those in, in my family. They may have experienced someone they know being ill. These people feel like the world has been turned upside down. And as far as in the workplace, when everyone is back, you may have a team composed of two extremes. And they're obviously going to react to the stress of that differently. You know, it can be a real challenge and employers have to pitch in and help. People may find a very different workplace than the one they left. They may even be find resentment from coworkers that have been there all along because they 
their job was deemed essential. And some people feel that those who were working from home may have been on a paid vacation, even though 65% of those working from home have been working longer hours. So once again, we face an unknown change in our lives as we return to work and school. The one thing we do know is that the stress levels are going to continue, hopefully not get too much worse. Well, joining us today is Jen Butler, and Jen Butler is the owner and founder and CEO of JB Partners, a company committed to reducing stress of private practice owners, small businesses, and large organizations through intuitive and powerful programming, one-on-one coaching, and of course, comprehensive consulting. While earning two bachelor degrees, one in public health administration, the other in educational psychology, Jen has worked in hospitals, private practices, and became a paramedic, learning firsthand the challenges of relentless stress faced by medical professionals. And building on her education and 25 years of experience in learning and development, Jen Butler has worked with entrepreneurs, small business owners, corporate leaders, and executives on how to obtain sustainable profitability with less stress and more fulfillment. And Jen is also a diplomat of the American Institute of Stress. Also, if you'd like to learn more about what Jen does and JB Partners, make sure you go to jbpartners.com. I have some great programs there. I want all you guys to check out. So join me in welcoming Jen Butler to the show today. Jen, welcome. Thanks, Will. I really appreciate being here. And what an important topic for you and I to be talking about right now. And so timely, it's been coming up more and more. You know, stress stress is always there. But this has been such a a banner year, (laughs) for lack of a better term, for stress. You know, and one thing I wanted to ask you about is you have done so many different and interesting things, I think they're interesting. I'm sure our listeners do. You've been involved in public health administration. You've been involved in hospitals, education. You even became a paramedic. Thank you, by the way, for that service. That that is a rough job. How did that lead you to be interested in stress management? So as as with most things, it's kind of a long story, but for the purpose of this, I'll keep it short. (laughs) But uh, it really came out of necessity for survival. So... Um, over 35 years ago, not to age myself, um, between the ages of 16 and 19, I went through three major life events during that short period of time. Two of them uh, were about were physical injuries that hindered my lifestyle, changed my life, postponed milestones, like getting my driver's license and going to proms and, and, and were excruciatingly painful, required surgeries. And then when I was 19, my fiance and high school sweetheart at the time died in my arms very unexpectedly. Oh, my. We thank you for the oh, my. Um, But we all go through life events. But these three events happening in such a formidable time in my life and happening in the late 80s where there was no comprehensive stress management programs. You know, there were no courses, there were no universities offering anything at the time. So through the work of therapy and counseling and and just my own uh, need to survive the time, um, and my fiance had passed away the first week of my college experience, my first week of school. So I really utilized that time to 
forge ahead and do lots of studying, lots of researching and taking classes that focused on what I have now come to identify the 11 traits or 11 characteristics of a comprehensive stress management program. So that's why I I have so many degrees, even though I'm addicted to school as well, because some of stress management yields itself within public health. Some of it deals, some of it, of course, it's medical. It's a biological, physiological condition. So me getting into the medical field, I was pre-med for a while. Um, And then also educational psychology. How do people learn? How do we change our mind, mindfulness and mindset versus attitude? That, That wasn't coined back then. So I really was doing it out of necessity for my own survival, but I found a, a, a passion and a level of interest that has carried me through, you know, all of my academic career, because I have a double master's in education as well, and my uh, adult learning, you know, certifications and, and that type of thing. So that's where it stems from. And it really just is my journey up to try and understand everything I can from a comprehensive view of stress and stress management and how to help people. Well, you know, I have to tell you that that's not an unusual answer. A lot of people who get into stress management and mental health in general have experienced the challenges and the issues faced by people who go through it and look and trying to find their own answers find a real affinity for the, the topic and the subject and in and, and the field itself, me being one of them. And, uh, you know, I, we both have something in common, both been in education for a long time. And, you've, and you're right, there's not a whole lot of emphasis on stress. The American Institute of Stress has been around since 1974. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there isn't a whole lot of support. Right now, for instance, you think about all the life changes people are going through, and now it's changing again because they're now being called back to work. Um, my wife is also a teacher, and she's, she's back in a brick-and-mortar school teaching face-to-face and online at the same time. Um, there's a lot of people that are returning back to their businesses and they have a whole different look. And I, I want to ask you, you know, what are the mental health challenges that the people that are returning to work and it's still during the COVID-19, it's still going on. I, I still wear my mask. It's good for my, uh, good for my looks, but I, I, I wear my mask and people are going back to work while this is still going on. What are the mental cha- health challenges that they're going to face? So, Let me say to your wife, who's a teacher and all other teachers out there, um, having taught in a classroom, I can't even, I mean, and I do webinar, like right now, you know, you and I are using, utilizing multiple technologies. Um, I do webinars and I do online work and podcasts and that type of thing. I can't imagine the skill sets required to manage the technology to make that successful, as well as then having to manage the behaviors of children in a classroom, that is so dichotomous of an approach to learning. As a teacher, you really have to split yourself up. Let's not forget the academics. Yes. And then have to teach. (laughs) Besides just managing the technology and the behaviors and and the physical control of the classroom, you actually have to make it productive and effective. That element is true for not just your wife as a teacher, 
But now that is true for every, almost everyone. Uh, and not just in the States, but globally, right. where people have gone through such significant changes in a flick of a switch, <laughs> where many employees and employers got a phone call on a Sunday saying, we're shut down. The governor has shut us down. You know, it's not that there was a transition. There were meetings in preparation. It was a literal flip of the switch. And in that moment, our, our rituals, our habits, our lifestyle, our friends, our social was all taken away in a switch without our control. And, and for anyone who does any kind of research on stress management or around stress control is a huge component to if people feel stress or not feel stress. So for those of you listening who don't or are unaware of that, so removing control from people immediately triggered that stress response on top of all the other elements. So now we've got eight, nine, 10 months of it sometimes. And so now people are, okay, going back to work tomorrow. Again, no preparation, no planning. And then, so they've had to, in a moment's notice, switch their, their autonomic behavior, meaning that kind of behavior that we do where we don't have to think about it. It's so ingrained in us, right? And so it's almost as if we live in two worlds, like your wife living in the technology world to teach the virtual world and the physical space world. Holding those two points of view in the same moment and then having to act and behave on those two points of view in the same moment really sets, can, can set people up for failure without remembering the fact that we are all going through it. See, if we all are going through it, then we all get to show support, solidarity, community, acceptance. I, I don't teach forgiveness. We can only forgive ourselves. Forgiveness is really rooted in judgment if we think about it. Mm. So acceptance is really the, the more um, positive or more anabolic viewpoint that if people make mistakes, if they're not on their game, um, if they are avoiding more people, if they're sticking in their office more, if they're showing up a little late, you know, they People shouldn't have to say, I'm sorry right now. Hmm. We sh they shouldn't have to say, you know, I, I messed up. How about I'm surviving? How about, you know, my life is so chaotic right now and I just need a hug and I need some, well, maybe an elbow bump, but um, <laughs> I need acceptance because we are all coming to work with fears. We are all coming to work with anxiety we are all coming to work with more stress. We are all then going home with more stress and anxiety. Did the kids do the homework? Did daycare responsibilities and all of this? So when we return to work, the mental health challenge that I want to highlight and all of that to unpack what I said just real briefly into kind of one statement is because we all have the stress response of the fight, flight, or freeze we all have fear, anxiety, stress, and everything else right now. The mental health challenge is for us all to remember we all are going through this. And it is now that we want to respond in love and kindness and acceptance 
as opposed to forgiveness and judgment and correctiveness. Hmm. You know, you made some, some excellent points. You're right. We're all going through this and we, we need to keep that in mind. One of the problems, because we're all going through this and we all handle it different, you could be going through the exact same thing as the person in the cubicle next to you or the classroom next to you, but we're different people. And even if you are handling that stress better because that person next to you is not, that's contagious. And that's going to build on your stress too. And we have to learn to sort of disengage ourselves from other people's stress as well. Be supportive, but don't take on theirs as well. You made a really good point when you said this happened. This is not like other things. This happened at the flip of a switch. One day they told my wife, you're going to start working at home and you have to learn these technologies. By the way, your kids still have to pass the test. <laughs> exactly. You're still held. And, and to that point, right. you know, everyone has has KPIs at work, mm-hmm. key performance indicators. Everyone does. A salesman has a right. quota. A, a, mar- a manufacturing company has to produce this. Teachers have to get kids to pass. So we all have those KPIs that we are measured against. It's vitally important that we we can meet those KPIs when we remember we are all in this together. So one of the things I, I say to people is, or a question I ask is, if, if you had a family member, your spouse, one of your kids, someone you loved was afraid, they were afraid and you were there. And what would you do if you were watching them be very fearful and very afraid? How would you act or or very worried, very anxious, having a breakdown? What would you do? How would you treat them? What would you say? You know, what is the physical response you would have for them? That that is what is going through when people are, quote unquote, under stress. I say the same things to people when people are are very stressed out and they're talking to me about it. And I, I say the same things to them. If you saw somebody in the same situation, what would you tell them? Well, why can't you give yourself the same break? Right. So, you know, one of the things I read on your site, it states that stress is the primary reason for employee disengagement. It also said that it costs employers 34% of an employee's salary each year. Excuse me. That's that's a big number. That's a big piece of, of the salary. Can you tell us what you mean, first of all, by their disengagement and how it costs so much? So this is something that most businesses, uh, whether it be small private practice, let's say a medical doctor or a dentist, obstetrician, lawyer, all the way up to a mega corporation such as Google or, or Verizon Wireless or something like that. This is something that they don't normally consider when they're looking at their profit margins or scaling for their future growth. And that is, and this stat actually comes from Gallup, a Gallup um, report done with over 73,000 employees across multiple countries. So it's a global view, but mostly focused on the United States, Canada, um, the UK. Uh, So that 34% is the US stat but I wanted to let people know where the stat came from. And so stress in 
in of itself has no financial cost to business, right? That, that is not a, stress is not a tangible metric we can track, we can audit. It is the results and the impact of stress that we can put some, that, that we can track and put data to. And the challenge with tracking stress is not the lack of data that we have with it, but it is the abundance of data. And, and what data do we consider relevant to business growth and business profitability um, or to disengagement than other data? So I, I look a lot at absenteeism because when people, are, when people are stressed, they get more sick, mm-hmm. tired, migraines, headaches, whatever. So they stay home. So absenteeism, health insurance claims, they go up. Um, it's, a, I just read a stat the other day. I don't want to make it up, but I think it was, I think it was 64%. That number is sticking in my head, but I can definitely correct. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's 64% of all health insurance claims by, or, by organizations are twice as much for those people that are stressed are twice as much, 64% higher than those people that are not stressed or indicate right. stress. There we go. That's what it was. But we also know that over 90% of all medical visits are stress related, 90%. So think of your health insurance claims, presenteeism, which that typically costs even more than absenteeism, which presenteeism is someone showing up to work when they're sick because they don't have the time off. They can't afford it. They get paid by the hour. So they, they're willing to, they show up, but they do no work. Mm-hmm. They're not productive. They're not. So presenteeism, short and long-term disability, um, depression and anxiety, which is a result of stress, um, turnover, accident rates at work. So workman's comp claims. Then you've got lawsuits, legal actions, um, productivity, fatigue, all of these, all of these metrics are an impact or results of stress that we can put and calculate data from. And that's where the 34% comes from, is that surveys, just at this Gallup poll, but people can do their own research. There is so, I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of studies that, that confirm the American workforce or the Canadian workforce, the UK workforce, is so disengaged. As a matter of fact, only 13% of the U.S. has employees that are engaged, only 13%. 87% are moderately disengaged to actively disengaged, which means they go to work and they do nothing, but they just collect the paycheck. So that's, that's where that number is. And disengagement is a direct result from stress. So and if nothing else, when you're, you're an employer or big business, small business, it doesn't matter, and your employees are there, if they're not engaged in their work, and of all the statistics that you mentioned, and all the statistics that are mentioned that stress.org, we have pages you know, dedicated to workplace stress, that should get your attention because it's costing you money. Yes. Um, so it's cheaper for you to address these stress issues than ignore them. The health cost alone, as you stated, is astronomical. And then they're going up. They're not going down. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things you mentioned was 
replacement of employees. The other statistic that I read on your site was was very interesting. They said that 40% of job turnover is due to stress. That's also a big number. I mean, a little bit more and it's half your employees are leaving because they're stressed out. And the the cost to replace the employee can cost between 120 to 200% of that employee's salary. Why is why is that cost so high? Should it just be one-on-one, one-to-one dollar, you know? So that's what that's what a lot of business owners or managers of a department, that's what they think. Because one in in my experience, almost 30 years of experience doing business coaching, business consulting, working in this field of being a liaison between this the, the stress management field. Um, I, 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 we call it SMART here at JB Partners, Stress Management and Resilience Training, SMART. Um, and in business is managers or owners think the grass is greener on the other side. Right. Meaning they would rather fire an employee and find another one and deal with because the next one won't have as many problems or the next one won't have the problems that they're having with this one or someone else has got to be better out there. So instead of investing in the employee, instead of, dealing with the situation, they just think, I'll just let them go and I'll find somebody else because it's got to be cheaper. It is proven time and time again that it's not. Now, this stat actually comes from a 1998 article called, What is the Cost of Employee Turnover? Uh, But I have done, I have lots of other studies that have been done by very reputable organizations that have confirmed this. And we also know um, that is very well commonly stated that just here in the U.S., uh, stress causes over $300 billion in our workforce. Well, this, the cost of employees due to stress, this is where some of that $300 billion comes from. So let's, let's break it down a little bit about how we get to that 120 to, two, to 200%. First of all, letting someone go nowadays requires documentation, uh, engaging in human resource, legal, uh, or if you don't do any of those because you think you're so you, you're too small, you know, you're too small to have any of those things, right. um, then you just go in and you fire them without any documentation. Well, then you're looking at um, paying for their unemployment, uh, probably a wrongful termination suit. Maybe I've had businesses that just fired one person, didn't have the right documentation and lost one hundred thousand dollars. Uh, lawsuit and they had to close their doors. You know, they were a single, single doctor practicing, but so you have all of these significant um, tasks, even just to terminate somebody. And really if businesses truly think about why they hire employees, it is for business growth. It's not for business maintenance. It's not for business stale uh, stalemates. Right. It's not for halting business. It is for growing the business. So anytime any of your employees is taken away from the task of growing their business, either growing the department, growing their position, growing sales, growing whatever, uh, but growing your students' um, test scores, they are then taking money out of the pocket of the business. So step one is, We haven't even terminated the person yet. And we've got all of these people from human resource to legal, to managers, to leaders, stop focusing on growing the business. So we have to take that loss of production, productivity, and profits 
included in that. So then we let the person go. And now we have meetings to talk about job descriptions and how to post the job and what kind of, you know, and then we have to go through human resource and get that approved and legal and all these things. Then we have to post the job online or we have to hire a headhunter, which costs money. Then it's the associate. Also, it's the associated cost of when we have fired that person, the work and productivity that that person generated, albeit maybe not as ideally as you would like. There was still something there right. that now is gone. So that is also a loss. And probably so put on other employees. And then you put exactly. and they're stressed and they get stressed <laughs> and then they get stressed and then they're not productive. Right. And it just snowballs. It snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. So let's say we then finally hire someone after typically 90 days or four months, six months. It takes a year for that person to be ramped up to truly understand the function of their job, to be able to do it so well that they can grow the business. And by that time, we're probably going to fire them anyway because the grass is greener on the other side. (laughs) This is a cycle in business that I see, I I have seen tens of thousands of times, I swear. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but definitely thousands of times in the corporations that I've worked in and the owner, uh, the the small businesses I've worked in and coached in. It's it's a cycle Mm -hmm. that if, to your point, Will, that you said earlier, if businesses embraced training and development around stress, which yes, is this taboo of a word that falls into the mental health category, which they then become very uncomfortable with talking about because society has made it such a taboo. But if they invest in it, businesses would profit so much more. They have no problem investing in human resource or legal to protect them after they fire somebody, but businesses do not invest in, in their employees the same way. No. Can you imagine if they just took a small percentage of their human resources and legal departments to invest in stress management? I, I think part of it has to do with the fact they think when they're going to hire someone after firing someone that that person could come in and use to use their expression, hit the ground running. Yes, that's yes. rare. That's very rare. Who you is know, <laughs> teachers have no choice, obviously. They don't get a choice because on day one their kids show up and they're expected to but but in the real world, <laughs> not that education is a, a make-believe world, but in the real world, you can't hit the ground running. You're not even part of the the corporate culture yet. You don't even understand the job yet. So that, and so I think we have a better understanding of why it costs 120, 200% to replace an employee and, and employers really have to think about that. And I know also uh, the other factor that's going on right now is that people are genuinely and rightly so concerned about the health issues of returning back to a brick and mortar setting. And that's also causing, if nothing else, a distraction. They're returning oh, exactly. to they're returning to a business where their desk may have been moved like away from everybody else. One of the things we just recently did an interview and we were talking about the the politics of COVID. Mm-hmm. And what I meant by that was not in a political sense, but but the the belief systems 
Why are you wearing a mask? You know, that's not going to help. How could you not wear a mask? Don't you care? What, you know, it goes on. And so all those things involved in the health issues of returning back to work have to come into play, too. What about those people who are just worried about their health issues? What can they do to alleviate some of that concern? So one of the things that I always tell people first is it is imperative that we involve our healthcare team to educate us on our own health and how to navigate this COVID situation. Now, I am support of the World Health Organization and the, and the science out there and and. Um, and, but you're, you're right, Will, there are so many different things that we can listen to, the noise around this and the mask debate, masks are now a debate. Right. It, it's, it's a freedom of speech, a freedom of expression at this point for some people. And, and I don't judge them for that. I understand. Um, I mean, I, I can respect, I really can respect that. Sure. It, they want to live the, how they want to live. Absolutely. That's what, what makes America great. What I, what I do say to people is, before you put yourself in any situation, returning to a brick and mortar, talk to your medical doctor. What, because you trust your medical doctor, your medical doctor has your records, your health, your, knows your family, and can guide you in such a way to, to um, protect you as much as possible. So, for example, um, I have a, a mother who is, uh, very medically fragile and at her last stage of life. And so I know maybe not for myself, who's younger, I'm healthy. I have no concern, but for her, I glove up, I mask up. I, I protect myself more, not for myself, but for her, per my doctor and her doctor's suggestions. So that's, that's, so it might not be for us, but it could be for our family members. So that's one, reach out to your medical professionals, get with them to understand your health status, what you need to do to protect yourself or to protect your loved ones and your families. That's one, two, and, and find out what they believe, you know, what your doctor tells you about a mask and about hand sanitizer and washing and all these other things, because some of it really does um, depend on your work environment. Right. Not everyone's work environment is the same, right? Um, you know, I know my doctors have said, you want to work outside. You want to open windows. You want, well, like your wife, if she has an indoor classroom without any windows, what is that about? Well, then how about these air purifiers that, you know, do they really work? What's the science behind that? Would that work? So it, so first engage in your medical team, to talk about your unique situation, your unique health, and those of your loved ones. Two, consider your work environment um, and your company policies around that work environment. Are they, did they bring in the aerosol filter fans um, that, that are out there? Um, are they opening windows? Are they doing fans? Are they doing contact tracing? What is your company doing for you um, and for your fellow employees? Now here's where, so that we need to review. But here's where to your point about the conflict and the tension around, around how we want to be during our workday. And here's where managers and leaders must take control in the workplace. They, they must uh, have clear guidelines 
they must have clear expectations of what they will and will not tolerate. But then after they develop those, it means having a, a team discussion around it. And this is where it's only through open communication where we can actively and talk and listen to each other about, well, I don't want to wear my mask. It's got to be okay for people to say that. Right. We can't go, well, that's ridiculous. You're stupid. You're this, you're that, you know, all these viral videos that go around and people are fighting in the grocery stores or whatever about masks. (laughs) But as a- used to be all the toilet paper. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Right. So now it's about the mask. So once we have- these clear expectations from the company and the policies of what they're gonna do. We must engage our workforce to talk about what it means for them and what it means for how they're going to work through the day. That's what they wanna know. Like, where can I go take my mask off? Where can I go feel safe if I need to? Or just comfortable. Yeah, where can I go get comfortable? Where can I go? And so, and, and everyone needs to be able to ex- share their views. And we we want to be able as a tribe, um, not just as a team, but as a tribe, as a community, as a family, right. to be able to listen to all these different points of views and create a win-win-win situation. If that's possible, I think employers really need to look at that and do that. They need, I, I, you know, I was going to, you brought up some very good points about um, how employees, can help employees with their stress of returning to the workplace, make it comfortable. And paramount to any success is communication. I have seen a lack of communication and it really just creates confusion and just exacerbates the stress so to such a great degree that people don't want to go. I know teachers that have literally decided not to go back to work this year. Oh, yeah. I I have teacher friends as well that have decided to take retirement. Well, you know, but even young teachers, they're taking a leave of absence with no pay. You know, that's got to be very detrimental. So I think and the reason I I keep bringing up teachers is that's the the industry I'm so familiar with. Everyone was asked about kids going back to school. Even the kids were asked. Um, The parents were asked. Administration was asked. The community was asked. The business leaders was asked. They didn't ask their employees. That's the one people they didn't ask. And I know people that were in different health situations did not want to go back to a brick and mortar. They weren't comfortable. Right, wrong, whatever. Fantasy, science, fact. It didn't matter. They weren't comfortable. Mm-hmm. And they had you know, other people's lives at stake kids that they were helping to be successful and learn from all this. So I think you're right. I think it was communication is so important. Um, So we know that employers, if they have policies and rules in place before you show up, if you don't like what I'm doing, I can simply say, well, that's the rules and I'm okay. (laughs) We're okay. I'm following the rules. What do you want? But what about the people themselves? when they start feeling really stressed out at work and they're not comfortable and they feel because they're not managing that stress, that their anxiety levels are starting to elevate and they want to do something about it. What are some of the things that you can do? 
for themselves? So one of the things, and this has been the most studied uh, coping method for stress across the board and multiple disciplinaries. And the first thing is, of course, just to breathe. Hmm. So I talk, we, as a stress coach or, or as, a, as a smart um smart, I call myself a smart nerd, stress management and resilience training nerd, right? So, um, so as a smart nerd, everyone would say, well, just breathe, breathe, just take some deep breaths. That slows your metabolic, your metabolic breakdown, brings your blood pressure, right? Does all these different things. But when you have a mask, <laughs> so now, right? So, right. so now you're in a mask, a you're in a cubicle with a mask and there's how do you take those deep breaths? So as much as I would say, simply just take some, some very cleansing deep breaths. And I have a, a great little uh, webinar, a little course, I guess, maybe, um, on crisis coping, the six steps for crisis coping, what to do in any moment, no matter where you're at, and that to help navigate just a single moment, a second, you know, 10 seconds. How do you get through those 10 seconds? So this is kind of what we're talking about. And so taking those cleansing breaths is the first step of crisis coping. However, if you have a mask on and you feel constricted and you can't, here we go back to what you and I were just saying. If your organization that you have has policies, has rules, and they have not engaged you to talk to you, you have the right as an employee to ask to go talk to them. Mm -hmm. Whoever them is, the CEO, the director of human resource, your manager, the leaders, you have a right to go and ask them, okay, if where can I go if I'm feeling anxious? Where is the safe place for me? Right. Where can I go take a deep breath? What, is, what does that look like? So number one, breathe. Number two, engage in your employer if they don't engage with you. Number three, uh, in those moments, it is, it is vital to get support. And now technology so encouraged in our settings, it's even easier to reach out to a loved one, to a family member. If you're more in an isolated, like a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or um, someone working on an assembly line, you can reach, you don't have to reach out to family members. And again, it goes back to communication and the culture of your employer, but employees must be able to ask for assistance mm -hmm. or just turn to the person working next to them or, or down yeah. the hall and say, wow, I'm having a really tough morning this morning. You know, Jim, my biggest worry right now is that a lot of people who are returning to work, you know, have lost some of those relationships. Yeah. You know, the people that they went to that were nurturing and that say, hey, you know, I could just bounce ideas off. Of. I can just say, hey, I'm really feeling stressed out. How can I help you? And they've lost that connection. Yes, maybe they kept it up online a little bit, virtually, but it's not the same. And so I'm kind, of, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about people who have who have lost those connections are now back at work and have to not only feel all the stress, but feel the stress of trying to reconnect with those people. And um, so, 
to piggyback on that just a little bit, here's where if, if people don't have the relationships anymore at work because people are gone or they're so distant or, um, you know, now that people have gone through very stressful situations, they're returning to work, not the same people. They're typically much more skeptical, more guarded, more, you know, they're not running up to hug you, you know, right. right? There, a lot of people are running away from other people. I'm a hugger and, and, and I have to stop myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we are not returning to work the same people we were when we left because of what we've all gone through. If we, so if we don't have the people or the connections or relationships with our our colleagues at this point, here's where your managers and your leaders have got uh, to let their employees feel safe to say, I need a few minutes to go call my husband. I need a few minutes to go call a friend of mine and make that okay. And just yeah. know that they're going to just take a few minutes because they don't, maybe they don't want to share their personal worry and anxiety with their colleagues or their manager or whoever. Um, We have a tendency to think socially that that is a weakness. It's a taboo to kind of say those things, uh, which is ridiculous. And hopefully changing. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully with these podcasts, you know, that we will demystify or, and debunk these. And normalize it. (laughs) Yeah. Normalize it. But we should, we need to be able to, our, our managers and leaders, we want to hear from our managers and leaders that we have permission and control. So something you said uh, just a little earlier that I wanted to piggyback on just a little bit is that when companies come in and they just have policies and procedures and they just hand it out to their employees and say, okay, follow these rules, that without discussion, that just enhances the stress because mm. that tells that triggers our stress response because we are out of control, right? We have no control over our situation. We're just robots. We're, we're not adults. We're not treated like adults. And so that will trigger our stress response. But when employers empower their employees within guidelines and within policies, and they empower them to navigate within these policies and procedures, it, it gives us, like, if I have, no, that I have the control, I have the empowerment and the permission to reach out to whoever I need at any time during my day, if I'm fearful or anxious or worried, I might not ever do it. I just have less stress over it because I actually have permission. To, I know I can if I need it. So those are some things that employers can do and employees can do upon returning to work. As long as, like, I think as you said, as long as there are some communication, some guidelines, some policies, some rules have to be steadfast because they don't even come from your employer. They come from the state or government and say we're trying to keep everybody healthy. The one thing that I saw that was bad was when we said, well, you're coming back to work, but we don't know exactly how that's going to look yet. That, that'll ramp up people's stress. So um, Absolutely. It, you don't know what you're walking into. No. The unknown is much uh, studies prove the unknown is, is far more of a stress trigger to our stress response, to our interpretation of, of the world than knowing we're actually going to be harmed. I mean, there's right. multiple studies that prove that. So saying this is going to be, this is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be painful. This is going to be, 
you know, different, this is, this is going to be hard. Saying that is so much more, so much less stressful to an employee than saying, well, when you walk in tomorrow, just everything is going to be different. Yeah, I don't just know you wait and see. <laughs> oh God. That, yeah, that I hated that. Far more stressful. Yeah, I know. And and we I think we all have to remember that we're all going through this <laughs> and we're all in this together. But the uh, one thing that you should all remember, all of you people listening to the sound of my voice right now, is stop listening to the little voice in your head who's creating scenarios that haven't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm an expert at that. I promise. Stop thinking that, oh, my God, this is going to happen when it hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, don't, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that that little voice has kept me awake more nights than actual things that have happened to me. Oh, of course. Now, that if I could do I have a, I have a different perspective on that little voice, if I could if I could share. Please. Is because how successful are you ever quieting that voice? <laughs> And if you are, then you've got better tips than I do, because even when I'm doing my meditation or my mindfulness, it sneaks in there or it comes back maybe mm -hmm. a little bit later. So we ask people to double down on that voice. Oh. And so we have a tool at our website, jbpartners.com called the what if game. And it's downloadable for free. We have lots of free downloads um, on our website. That's, that's our, my passion coming through. That's my, um, my commitment to the universe, to the world, to the human race is to provide, is to help people reduce stress. So we call, we call to that the what if game. And we want you to write down all the what if scenarios that, so actively listen to that little brain. Don't try and ignore it or, or so, um, and write down all the what ifs. And some of them are crazy irrational that'll right. never happen. Like, <laughs> Like you and I were talking about cruises, right? Mm -hmm. So the cruise ship is going to go down. It's going to be the Titanic. We're going to hit a, an iceberg, right? Right. Rationally, we can think of what that might look like or if that would ever happen. But still, so write down all the what ifs, just all of them. Make them as crazy and ridiculous as your mind will let you. But then if you notice, we say, well, what if this happens? And what if this, it's a question, and where the, where the brain triggers the stress response is when the question is not answered. And so the what if game triggers that stress response, because again, it's a, it's, a meta, it's a biological, physiological response, is when we don't answer the question. So we have a piece of paper that we say, answer the question. Mm. What if the ship hits an iceberg? What if someone doesn't wear a mask. What if um, my, I give my mom COVID? What if, you know, write the questions down and then answer the questions. And then all of a sudden you've got an incredible plan B. Yeah. It becomes a strategic implemental, implementing plan that you can turn to if any of those situations arise. And that's got to feel good. And isn't that much more productive? It's got to feel good. You know, when I'm thinking of something that's bad could happen, but I got an answer to it. Oh, well, then I got to be okay with it. I got to be it's, okay. It's as simple as that. So <laughs> it's just a little bit of a, 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 little bit of a, a twist to, of course, our, that constant 
little voice in our head yeah. is is to uh, let yourself play the what if game if necessary. Well, thank you, Jen. I, 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 you gave us a lot of great tips today and um, a lot of good insight into what it's going to be to get back to work these days. I know that you have a great program at JB Partners called the SMART program, which we've mentioned, uh, stress management and resilience um, training. And I think everyone needs to go to jbpartners.com and take a look at it and see all the other stuff that you do. And like you said, there's a lot of free downloads. There's, there's a blog that they can read. And, and I, I encourage everybody to do it. Thank you. And we, we're going to stop here because we could talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you're going to have to stop. You're, you will have to stop this before I could stop speaking. <laughs> well, I, I, I can, I, I have conversations about stress daily. So, you know, I understand. And this, this is a very timely and very important discussion. And if you're listening to this, this is a discussion that you might also want to have with your employer. Say, what is what is it going to look like when we get back? What can we do? What if I'm not comfortable with this? And making that plan B, as, as uh, Jen said, can help you to quiet some of that voice in your head. And God knows we all need that, uh, to quiet those voices in our head. All right, that's going to be it for today. This has been, once again, your host, Will Heckman. And I want to thank everyone for joining us today and please don't forget to follow this podcast and send in those reviews and comments remember your support is what helps keep these podcasts possible i want to remind everyone just as stress is different for each of us there is no one stress reduction or management strategy that is right for everyone so that means you need to join us next time because (laughs) we're going to explore more stress management strategies and insights and remember Visit stress.org, gather information, gather tools and techniques to live a healthier, happier, and longer life. And I hope that the information that you heard today from Jen Butler at JB Partners and myself will help you to find contentment. It's a good day, everyone. Thank you so much.